Welcome back to my living room, and uh, thanks so much for inviting me into yours today. I'm excited to open the Word with you this morning. Before we do, though, I just want to commend us as a community. I feel like we've done a really good job this week. I go outside, and, and nobody's out there. It's a little less chaotic. I go into Trader Joe's. I go into Safeway. It's not a madhouse now. We're washing our hands, and I feel like we're flattening the curve. And so thanks for those of you who are participating with us as we shelter in place. I know this isn't the ideal way to do church, but hey, this is part of how we can serve our community and be good citizens. So thanks for joining us in this season, which has been a crazy season, hasn't it? I don't know about you, but I just, I just feel like these last few months, it's just been one thing after another. Right, even in just these last couple of weeks, right? There was the, the scare. We were talking about coronavirus in Wuhan. And then all of a sudden it comes here and then things escalate and then the markets crash and then our kids home, come home from school. And it feels like every couple of days we're reinventing ourselves. We're re reinventing how we do work. We're reinventing how we do education. We're reinventing how we live, right? Some of you are trapped in a little apartment with a ton of people and you're reinventing how you do grace and extend grace to your family. And it just feels like the dominoes of life just keep falling one after another, doesn't it? I got a Facebook message this morning from somebody who said, Danny, have you, have you seen this? And it was an article about something happening in three different countries in Africa who are all experiencing this massive plague of locusts that are destroying everything. I know the subtext of the Facebook message they sent me was, doesn't it feel like we're at a season of like, Biblical proportion plagues right now. We've got famine in parts of the world. We've got locusts in parts of the world. We've got flooding in parts of the world. We've got disease in every corner of the world. And everything's falling apart all around us all the time. One of the questions I want to wrestle with this morning is, is how are we supposed to think about this? Right, last week we talked a little bit about how as Christians we're supposed to feel about this. But I think feeling and thinking are a little bit different. Right? The worry, the anxiety, the emotion, a lot of times is like the gut a reaction to what's happening. We, we hear the news, we sense what's the pressure or the stress, and, and we start to worry. We, we feel or we see our stocks striping and, and our emotions are the first thing that kick in. But, but thinking, thinking is a little bit different. Our thinking is the rational part of us, right? When we move from the gut or from the heart up into the head and we start processing what is the significance of what's happening, what am I supposed to do with what's happening? And as a Christian even, what is the role of God in all that's happening? Now, I know that one of the questions that people ask outside of the church all the time is, is how could you guys believe in a good God who allows this type of suffering to happen on planet Earth? You know, it's interesting. I don't hear that question a lot within the church with Christian people. I think it's because most of us, we, we know and love and trust God. We know that we live in a broken place. We know that this world is, is falling apart at every corner. We know that God's posture towards us is love and redemption. And so a lot of times as I meet with folks who are Christian folks, they're not bringing up the why could God possibly allow this to happen question. The, the question that Christians tend to ask me is a little bit more personal. And the questions that I hear from believers is, is Danny, why is God allowing this to happen to me? to my family, to my community, to the people that I love. And not why does God allow coronavirus in general, but why has God allowed coronavirus to get into my kid's school or into my grandmother's rest home or into my family's circumstances? God, God I, 
I come to you all the time and I pray and I ask you to, to save me, to help me, and I feel like you're not hearing me, right? Because we believe in a personal God. A lot of times when things hard are happening in the world, we take it more personal with God. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about how to become kingdom-minded people. How to be Christians who think rationally about suffering in this world, because we know, right? We all know that suffering is, is part of life. We all know that the world is broken. We all know we shouldn't be surprised when stuff happens. But, but you know what? As it's happening, as the dominoes keep falling, a lot of times it's hard to wrestle with what God wants us to think about all of this. And so this morning, what I want to do as we look at the text of Scripture together is I want to arm us with a perspective that I pray will bring freedom and life to you as you navigate these difficult days. And that perspective comes from a text of Scripture in the book of Matthew chapter 5. And so if you have Bibles, you can open them now to Matthew chapter 5. We've actually been in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 all week long. Uh, in the mornings, we've been doing these devotionals right here on Church Online, threecrosses.org slash live. And so if you've been tuning in, if you haven't, you can join us next week. But we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, because in this text, Jesus talks a lot about what it means to be a citizen of his kingdom. And I believe the Sermon on the Mount was written or spoken by Jesus to give us a mental perspective, a, a worldview that we as Christians can take into the world that will empower us to live our lives and look at the world through the lens of how God wants us to think. And so this morning, I want to start the Sermon on the Mount with the section called the Beatitudes that begins in verse 3 of Matthew 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me as I read this. This is Matthew 5, verse 3. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall, it be, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that is in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now I want to pray for us as we dive into the text this morning. If you have a specific request and you're watching live, hit the live prayer button. We would love to pray with you personally. Maybe you just want to throw it in the chat room. Folks will pray for you as you go, but otherwise just close your eyes with me and let's pray together as we dive in. Father, like we talked about two weeks ago, we remember what Jesus said, that in this world we will have trouble. And Lord, we're trying to take heart, knowing that you've overcome the world. We've tried to quell our anxiety and trust you in all of this. And yet, God, sometimes as we get to the rational part of this whole thing and we think about what's happening, it's hard for us to understand why you would allow people like us, your kids, 
to go through some of the things that, that a lot of us are going through right now. I know people who are listening to this right now are going through a whole mess of stuff. People with financial struggles, with health struggles, with isolation and loneliness issues, with strife in their families, in their household, with educational struggles, all of that. God, we know that you know what's happening and yet we pray that you would help us to think biblically, to think like Christians, to think and look at the world through your lens in the midst of all this. And we pray that you would equip us for that as we encounter this text this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, I want to look at this text with you. I know last week I brought out the drawing pad. I don't have any drawings for you today, but I do want to show you some stuff that I see in this text uh, because I feel like if we look at how Jesus is flowing out this argument, it's going to be helpful to us. And so I want to start by looking at all of the different types of people that Jesus addresses in this passage. Check this out. Jesus addresses the poor in spirit. He addresses people who mourn, who have experienced loss of some kind. He he, uh, addresses meek people, right? The lowly, humble people that no one even looks at in this world, right? The meek. He talks about people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Obviously, they lack righteousness and they want more of it. He talks to people who are merciful, right? Someone has has hurt them in a huge way and now they're showing mercy, right? So they've experienced pain. He talks about people who are pure in heart. Those people who maybe they don't have a lot in this world, but their heart is clean and pure as they seek after God. He talks about people who have put their neck on the line to make peace, the peacemakers, those who are agents of reconciliation in this world. He talks about people who are persecuted because of their righteousness, that because they're trying to live for God and do good things, they're experiencing a lot of hardship. Finally, he talks about people who are insulted, persecuted, and who people falsely say all kinds of evil against them. He describes a list of, hopefully it's not just one person, a lot of different types of people who have experienced a lot of different types of pain in this world. And we talked last week about the fact that Jesus knows our pain. And I think what we see in this passage here is that he knows that human beings experience a diverse type of ailments. I feel like if we wanted to take some time right now, we could add to this list based on what we're experiencing today. Right? If you're in the chat room right now, add to this list. What are other things that people experience that are painful in the world right now, right? It's like Jesus is saying, hey, we know that some of you are sick, right? Blessed are the sick. We know that some of you are financially unstable. Jesus is saying, I know that some of you are experiencing strife in your home as you try to live with the family of yours in this close confines day after day. I know that some of you are stressed. I know that some of you are having a hard time learning because of the educational system you're in right now, trying to learn from home. I know that some of you are lonely. Some of you are isolated. Some of you are sick or have relatives who are sick and in the hospital and no one can visit them because of the quarantine. I know some of you are out of work. Jesus describes a diverse amount of people with diverse types of ailments and backgrounds. And yet... As diverse is the list of ailments that Jesus describes, uh, on the opposite side of things, he gives one word to describe every type of people. He says they're blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the mourners. Blessed are the lonely. Blessed are the financially unstable. Blessed are those who are sick. Blessed are those in the ICU. 
Blessed are those whose relatives are far away and you can't see them. Blessed are you who miss your loved ones. Blessed are those who are scared about their children. Blessed are those who are living in a broken world. Blessed are those who are experiencing heartache and pain. Blessed, blessed, blessed. It's kind of hard to hear that. But at the same time, it's actually kind of reassuring to hear that. That God knows that we're hurting. And yet God declares upon his people that even in your pain, my blessing rests on you. I think one of the things that we see as we look at this passage is that God has armed his people with a different perspective in the world as they suffer. Because God's people, one thing that's true about us is based on a passage like this, we know that we are constantly under the blessing of God. I love, actually, but I'm, I'm not going to put this down. I want to show you something. As we look at this, we know that we're constantly under the blessing of God, but Jesus doesn't just leave it there, right? Blessed is not the only word that he describe, uses to describe each person. In each of these different things, he, he ties the blessing to something that is true about their identity as children of God and the future that's waiting for us as the children of God. He says, the poor in spirit are blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, those who mourn are blessed because they will be comforted. Look at all these wills. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will be shown mercy. They will see God. They will be called children of God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, when you're insulted and persecuted and falsely accused, rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. This blessing that Jesus gives us does not just come out of the blue and it's not just cotton candy of, oh yeah, you're blessed. It says there's a reason you're blessed. And the reason that Christians are blessed is because Christians know that their kingdom is not of this world. That, that even if we are sick, we know that someday in the kingdom of heaven, we will be well. And even if we're poor, even if we die poor in this world, someday we will inherit a kingdom that is beautiful and full of riches and beauty at every turn, right? Even if we're experiencing heartache, someday we'll have reconciliation in the kingdom of God. Even if everyone in this world hates us, we are loved by God and will be loved by him and his people forever and ever and ever. It's not just blessing for the sake of blessing. Jesus gives us blessing and then he gives us the substance of the blessing. He says, as a Christian person, as a believer in God, the way that you need to think about the heartache of this world is with the perspective that this world you live in is temporary and your primary kingdom is not the kingdom of this world. As I, I think about what I'm saying now, I imagine someone who's not a Christian listening in, right? Maybe, you're, maybe that's you, right? Maybe you're listening this morning and you're thinking, Christians are crazy, right? This is so weird. Are your Christians really think, oh, I'm blessed even though I have coronavirus because I have Jesus too, right? And some of you Christian people are thinking, yeah, kind of, yeah, right? And it's just a weird, it's a weird thing because it is simultaneously true that the heartache of this world does affect God's people. And at the same time, when we truly have a godly kingdom perspective, the heartache of this world doesn't seem as hard as it does to the person next door. It's kind of like what the Apostle Paul says when he says that Christians, we experience death in our community. And, and yes, we mourn. We're sad when folks who are in Christ pass away. But Paul says that Christians don't mourn like those who have no hope. We, we mourn differently. Because the fact that we believe in resurrection, the fact that we believe in a kingdom, it changes the way that 
that we mourn. Our perspective is different. And you can look through church history. If you're a skeptic, this could be a great place for you to do a little research. Look through church history and look at the myriad men and women throughout the history of the Christian church who are willing to put their lives on the line and forsake everything for the cause of Christ, for their faith. And even when they're facing the stake, they don't turn back. Even when they're facing being burned alive, they don't turn back. When they're facing uh, in the arena in Rome and the people are trying to kill them because they're Christians, they don't turn back. They don't give up their faith. And every single time they hold on to their faith because they believe that God is real and because they believe that the moment their life on earth passes away, they enter into a kingdom that is beautiful and all the pain of this world it just is nothing in comparison to the beauty of the kingdom of God. I think if you're trying to get a definition of what it means to be a faith-filled person, faith is simply choosing to base your life now on what you believe to be true in the future. Right? Hebrews 11 is a passage in scripture that talks a lot about the godly men and women of the Old Testament, of the kind of first half of the Bible, who, who have faith. And the way that the author of Hebrews describes faith is it's this confidence in things that are hoped for, right? This assurance of things that are not yet seen. And then the author of Hebrews goes on to describe all these different godly people in church history who did amazing things in this world because they trusted God's promises on the other side. So one of the ways that we navigate a season like this is we force ourselves to think about how this season relates to the kingdom of God and our identity as children of God, right? Maybe you are in financial hardship. Being a Christian does not mean that God's going to miraculously provide for your bills. Although a lot of times God miraculously provides for the bills of his people. But sometimes Christians die broke, right? right? If you're sick, it doesn't mean that because you're a Christian, you're just going to get healed, right? But sometimes Christians get miraculously healed, but other times Christians, they die, they pass away. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're going to avoid the heartache of this world. But if you're a Christian, God has given you a perspective that is beautiful, that should equip you to walk through the hardship of this world differently. And one of the things that's encouraged me more than anything else is seeing the beautiful attitude of Christian people through the season, even of shelter in place, making the most of an opportunity to be with their family, making the most of an opportunity to slow down, making the most of an opportunity to pray more, devote themselves to growing in their relationship with God. Christians have this perspective that whatever we face, it's temporary because someday we'll be in a perfect kingdom where all is made right. Now, I know it's an encouraging perspective, and yet I know it it still doesn't answer the question that we started with, the why question, right? Why would God allow his children, his people, to go through suffering, right? If, if it's true that someday we'll be in a kingdom that's beautiful and, and amazing, why isn't it true that the moment we become Christians, he just takes us there, right? Why would God allow his kids, us, to go through a season like this? Why wouldn't he spare us and just come back soon? And there's a lot of reasons, right? If you're interested in that concept, let me know. We could talk about it. There's a lot of reasons, but there's actually one reason right here in this text that Jesus says he allows his people to go through really hard things in this world. Maybe you've never noticed it before in relationship to these blessed sayings, these beatitudes. But in the beatitudes, right, he talks about all these different things that Christians are. I'll underline them for you right now. Are, 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 right? Blessed are you uh, when people insult you. But then he gives two new things at the end that he adds to the list that are not negative, but are positive. 
He says, sure, you, you are poor in spirit. You are <laughs> hungry. You are persecuted. But you are two other things as well. Number one, you are the salt of the earth. And number two, you are the light of the world. And what we understand as we look at this thing is what Jesus is trying to say is that being a Christian does not mean merely that you have a different perspective than the rest of the world when you encounter suffering. But being a Christian also means that there's a different power that you carry, carry into a season of suffering. If you ever studied the concept of salt and light in the scriptures, uh, I guess you don't need me to tell you this, but if you haven't, I'll tell you right now, right? Salt in the New Testament, this idea is a preservative. Salt is something that preserves whatever it's placed into. This idea of light in the context here that Jesus says, if you are the light of the world, let it shine. You bring illumination, you bring goodness, you bring God's glory into this place. Jesus is saying, sure, you are poor. Sure, you are sick. Sure, you are lonely. Sure, you are persecuted. Sure, you are financially in a hard place. Sure, all of those things are true and you are blessed. And let me tell you one of the reasons why you're blessed. Because as you suffer as a Christian, you're preserving the world in which God has placed you and you're bringing his glory wherever you go. And I know it might not feel like you're preserving the world this week, right? You're probably just trying to preserve your own life this week. But the truth is, if you are one of God's children, as you go through a season of suffering, God is using you to bring goodness into this world. And the way that you suffer actually affects the people around you. And some of you have already experienced this week. You've had people come to you and say, man, you're going through such a hard time. You're trying to wrangle all your kids together. You're trying to do this homeschool thing. How do you have your wits together, right? And you say, well, I don't. They say, no, but there's something about you just always seems so happy, right? And you've had an opportunity to say, you know what? God has been good to us. And something about the fact that you suffer and you're enduring it as a Christian, God uses that in a powerful way to give you a chance to share what's, what's real about you. You have this perspective that allows you to endure. And let me tell you something, the people who don't have that perspective, a lot of times they can see that in you. And they see that, that yes, you mourn, but you don't mourn like those who have no hope. There's something different about you. There's something different about your family. There's something different about the way that you're suffering right now. You know, others of you have had opportunities this week to be light, to take this season that's hard for so many and, and leverage it towards the glory of God. I've gotten a, a bunch of different texts and emails this week from people saying, hey, I've got free time. Can I help anybody? Hey, I've got some extra money. Can I give it to anybody? It's amazing to hear the way that Christians get mobilized in a season like this to say, I want to let God's light shine through this season. Now, I believe that one of the reasons that God allows us to go through a season of suffering as Christians is that the world can see that we are in the same boat as them, but something is different about us because of the presence of God in us and the perspective he's given us on the kingdom after we live in this world. As you suffer alongside your neighbors, God uses your suffering to bring light and life into the brokenness of this world. If you want the, the beautiful example of what this looks like, it's Jesus himself. Jesus, who created this broken world, had this posture of redemption towards the world so much so that he entered it and he walked among us. And as Jesus walked among us, he was not immune to suffering. He suffered just like the rest of us. He was tempted. He was persecuted. He was beaten. He was hated. He was poor. He was homeless. He was all these things in the Beatitudes. And yet we know that Jesus was blessed. And the way that Jesus lived as a poor, impoverished, humble man encouraged millions and millions and millions of people. 
Right? His actions preserved wherever he went. He stepped into a community and God's light just showed up with him. It didn't matter he had no resources. It didn't matter that he had nothing to offer in the eyes of the world. Jesus was the most powerful person who ever lived. Because as he suffered alongside people, they got to see God's perspective toward suffering. And Jesus got to bring light and life in the power of God wherever he went. You know, when you bring a perspective of blessing into the community, you preserve it. And when you're able to bring joy and bring life and bring ministry to others in a season of hardship like this, you bring the presence of God to this place. I've been thinking a lot about that phrase, like that old-timey phrase, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade. And I feel like a lot of times that just feels a little bit too cheap in a season like this. But I was thinking kind of through the lens of this idea of how to think differently as Christians. And I realized that that saying does not say when life gives you lemons, look to the heavens and say, why God, why these lemons, right? We know it that God has given us something, we should do something with them. And I love that make lemonade idea is it's not just say thanks God for the lemons, right? It's make good out of the bad that you're in, right? I know that sounds like a really cheap thing in a season like this, but when we understand the world through a godly Christian perspective, we realize, you know what? Suffering is common. Suffering is part of life. And when suffering comes into our lives, we need to ask God, why have you brought this to me? And God, what can I do with it? I'm going to give you a couple of questions to wrestle with as you walk into your week this week. Number one, ask yourself this. You can write this down and and journal on this later or something, but just ask about yourself. How can my attitude be a powerful witness during this time of hardship in our community? How can my attitude be a witness? Now think about the people who are looking on as you suffer right now, right? I'm not saying feel the pressure to act like a Christian. I'm saying as you think about how God has equipped you for this time and is blessing you in this time, how can your attitude be used by God to be a powerful witness during a season of unrest for so many? And question number two, how can I use what God has placed in my hands as a tool to bring glory, God's glory into the world in a season like this? Right? If you've got resources, how can you use those resources? If you've got food in the cupboard, how can you use that? If you've got time, how do you use your time? If you're going to Costco, how can you use that Costco run? If you're going on a walk, how can you use that walk? Whatever God has placed in your hands, how can I use that for the good of those around me and to bring the light of God and the gospel into people's lives this week? Part of, part of knowing that we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world is trusting that, that God is using us whether we're conscious of it or not. That's what I love about salt and light. They're both very passive, right? Light, you just let it shine. Salt just exists in something. For you, you might be a powerful witness in your community and you have no idea. And Jesus says, you're blessed because that's just part of your identity. It comes with a package. You're a Christian. And so God is using you. If you could partner with him in that, amazing. But if not, be encouraged this week. God has blessed you beyond measure. God is using you in your family. God is using you in your community. God may be using you in your workplace, even though you can't go there right now, because he dwells in you. And he will use you to preserve the place he's placed you. And he will use you to bring his light wherever you go. I'm sure it feels like we're in a season where it's just one thing after another. But but what the Apostle John says is also true, that from the fullness of God's grace, all of us have received one blessing after another. Be blessed this week. Wherever you are, trust that God is with you, is for you, and is using you. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your name. We pray that you would 
arm us with the same attitude that Jesus had in suffering, that we would be able to endure it, that we would be able to walk through it, and that even the way that we walk through it with our eyes on the kingdom would be a powerful witness in the community you've given us. I pray for anyone who's listening who's outside of your kingdom. We pray that you would give them the faith to step into relationship with Jesus even today. And for us, as we shelter in place, we pray that you would use us to to change this world, use us to slow down the spread of this virus, use us to flatten this curve, and use us even in the midst of all of this to preserve the communities you've placed us in and be a powerful light for your glory wherever we go. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.